Chapter Thirteen of A Man of Honor by George Carey Eggleston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen Concerning the Rivulets of Blue Blood. Mr. Robert was heartily glad to get away from the uncomfortable presence of Cousin Sarah Ann, and yet it cannot be said that our young gentleman was buoyant of spirit as he rode from the Oaks to Shirley. Ewing's case had depressed him, and Cousin Sarah Ann had depressed him still further. His confidence in woman nature was shaken. His ideas on the subject of women had been for the most part evolved, wrought out a priori, from his mother as a premise. He had known all the time that not every woman was his mother's equal, if indeed any woman was. He had observed that sometimes vanity and weakness, and in one case, as we know, faithlessness entered into the composition of women. But he had never conceived of such a compound of envy, hatred, and malice, and all uncharitableness, as his cousin Sarah Ann certainly was. And as he applied the quotation mentally, he was constrained also to utter the petition which accompanies it in the litany, Good Lord, deliver us. This woman was a mystery to him. She not only shocked, but she puzzled him. How anybody could consent to be just such a person as she was, was wholly incomprehensible. Her departures from the right line of true womanhood were so entirely purposeless that he could trace them to no logical starting point. He could conceive of no possible training or experience which ought to result in such a character as hers. After puzzling himself over this human problem for half an hour, he gave it up, and straightway began to work at another. He asked himself how it could be possible that Cousin Sudie should be attracted by Dr. Charlie Harrison. Possibly the reader has had occasion to work at a similar problem in his time, and if so, I need not tell him how incapable it proved of solution. Of the fact Robert was now convinced, and the fact annoyed him. It annoyed him, too, that he could not account for the fact, and then it annoyed him still more to know that he could be annoyed at all in the case, for he was perfectly sure, or nearly so, that he was not himself in love with his little friend at Shirley. And yet he felt a strange yearning to battle in some way with young Harrison, and to conquer him. He wanted to beat the man at something, it mattered little what, and to triumph over him. But he did not allow himself even mentally to formulate this feeling. If he had, he would have discovered its injustice and cast it from him as unworthy. His instinct warned him of this, and so he refused to put his wish into form, lest he should thereby lose the opportunity of entertaining it. With thoughts like these, the young man rode homewards, and naturally enough he was not in the best of humors when he sat down in the parlor at Shirley. The conversation, in some inscrutable way, turned upon Cousin Sarah Ann, and Robert so far forgot himself as to express pleasure in the thought 
that that lady was in no way akin to himself. "'But she is kin to you, Robert,' said Aunt Catherine. "'How can that be, Aunt Catherine?' asked the young gentleman. "'Show him with the keys, Aunt Catherine, show him with the keys,' said Billy, who had returned from court that day. "'Come, Sudie, where's your basket? I want to see if Aunt Catherine can't muddle Bob's head as badly as she does mine sometimes. Here are the keys. Explain it to him, Aunt Catherine, and if he knows when you get through whether he is his great-grandfather's nephew or his uncle's son once removed, I'll buy his skull for tissue paper at once. A skull that can let key basket genealogy through it ain't thick enough to grow hair on. The task was one that the old lady loved, and so, without paying the slightest attention to Billy's bantering, she began at once to arrange the keys from Sudie's basket upon the floor in the shape of a complicated genealogical table. "'Now, my child,' said she, pointing to the great key at top, "'the smokehouse key is your great-great-grandmother, who was a Pembroke. The Pembrokes were always considered—' "'Always considered smokehouse keys, remember, Bob.' "'Will you keep still, William? The Pembrokes were always considered an excellent family. Now your great-great-grandmother, Matilda Pembroke, married John Pemberton, and had two sons and one daughter, as you see. The oldest son, Charles, had six daughters, and his third daughter married your grandfather, Pagebrook, so she was your grandmother.' The storeroom key, you see. See, Bob, what it is to be well connected, said Billy. Your own dear grandmother was a storeroom key. Hush, Billy, you confuse Robert. Ah, do I? I only wanted him to remember who his grandmother was. Well, said the old lady, Matilda Pemberton's daughter, your great grand aunt, married a man of no family, a carpenter or something, the corn-house key there. "'There it is, Bob. Aren't you glad you descended from a respectable smoke-house key through an aristocratic store-room key, instead of having a plebeian corn-house key in the way? There's nothing like blue blood, I tell you, and ours is as blue as an indigo bag. Ain't it, Aunt Catherine?' "'Will you never learn, Billy, not to make fun of your ancestors? "'I have explained to you a hundred times how much there is in family. "'Now, don't interrupt me again. "'Let me see, where was I? "'Oh, yes. "'Your great-grand-aunt married a carpenter, "'and his daughter Sarah was your second cousin, if you count removes, fourth cousin if you don't, now Sarah was your cousin Sarah Ann's grandmother, as you see. So Sarah Ann is your third cousin, if you count removes, and your sixth cousin, if you don't. Do you understand it now? Of course he does, said Billy. But I must break up the family now, as I see Polidor's waiting for the madam's great-grandfather, to wit, the corn-house key. Come, Bob. 
Let's go up to the stable and see the horses fed. End of chapter 13